What's the saddest thing that comes to mind when you think about the last 20 years? I think of the fact that I really tried to talk myself into Brandon, Brandon Whedon uh, <laughs> and his ability to throw a fastball. <laughs> and, then, and then one day I watched him throw a dart right into the ground and I was like, that's not where a fastball is supposed to go. Do you think it was a bad sign when he got tackled by the American flag? I was just gonna say, it, it all started when he got <laughs> stuck under the American flag, absolutely. How about Brandon Whedon getting caught under the flag. <laughs> See, I was telling you about that maturity and that confidence, but he still is a rookie. I'm not big into omens, but getting caught under the American flag before your first game doesn't seem like a good one. That's what happened to 29-year-old Browns rookie quarterback Brandon Whedon before the 2012 season opener. And honestly, it only got worse from there. Dominique Rogers Cromarty had two of Whedon's four INTs. That's one thing we will learn in this league, that the cornerbacks, they can catch passes and they can stay with wide receivers. Even with his interceptions, Whedon was probably not even the worst Browns draft pick in 2012. That historically terrible draft would eventually cost both Mike Holmgren and whoever his coach would be their jobs and lead the team towards starting all over again. Good Lord, that is depressing. Remember to fill out your draft card and submit it before time runs out. We're headed to Brownstown. Okay, let's do a little housekeeping. Last episode, we saw the end of Eric Mangini's two-year stint in Berea. So with the Mangini's gone, team president Mike Holmgren hired Pat Shermer, who had never had coached before. In 2011, Shermer led the team to a 4-12 record. The offense was bad. The defense was bad. The players were bad. It was just all bad. And on top of all of that, Shermer was just not memorable. It was like Holmgren went to central casting and asked for a coach who wouldn't inspire anyone. The only good thing to come out of it was an alcohol-fueled rant for the ages. I just remember sitting there with a bunch of people at some Lakewood bar that I don't remember the name of it, but it's been like six bars since then, so it doesn't matter. But I was just getting frustrated and yelling stuff out. Eventually, I decided I was going to drive down to the stadium and yell at it for a little bit. Hey, Browns, Mike Polk, season ticket holder. You are wasting valuable space on our majestic shoreline, and what do we get out of it from you? I just yelled at the stadium for a while and just let a bunch of stuff off my chest. Ten miserable games a year, including two preseason games that I have to pay for and one shitty Kenny Chesney concert. And uh, went home and just cut it together and passed out that night. You are a factory of sadness! I'll see you Sunday. And woke up and, like I said, a bunch of text messages and that it had been traveling around on YouTube and stuff. And I think it was just a very cathartic thing for a bunch of fans. It just connected with a lot of people. For Mike Polk and countless Browns fans like him, after more than a decade of losing, it felt good to feel bad. One of the Browns' chronic problems was a quarterback carousel. After their magical season in 07 with Derek Anderson under center, the quarterback position was a revolving door. They had Brady Quinn, Ken Dorsey, Bruce Gritkowski, Jake Delhomme, Seneca Wallace, Gerald Haynes, and Colt McCoy. So many quarterbacks, I bet you didn't even notice Gerald Haynes is a fake name I made up. Colt McCoy, however, was a very real quarterback Holmgren and Mangini had drafted in the third round in 2010. Here's Colt McCoy, the Texas Longhorn, throws, oh, it's picked off by Martin. He went 6-15 in his time as a starter in Cleveland and threw just one more TD than interception. More notably, Steelers linebacker James Harrison concussed McCoy so hard during a primetime game that it set off a chain of events that would stain the NFL and culminate 
in a Will Smith movie with a highly questionable accent. A human being will get concussed at 60 Gs. A common head-to-head contact on a football field? 100 Gs. The haters will say that his accent is not real. I don't don't say that. I think that he sounds like a Nigerian with a concussion. (laughs) (laughs) With all the concussion controversy around McCoy and his subpar play, the Browns once again needed a new quarterback. Dane Brugler set the stage. They're coming off a season when Colt McCoy is the starter. He looked overwhelmed. It was clear, okay, they need an upgrade here. I think there's a ton of pressure from ownership and the fans. Okay, you got to get this right. You got to get your quarterback. Mike Holmgren, you're supposed to be that offensive guy, the quarterback guru with what you did in Green Bay and Seattle. Okay, find us our quarterback. Jake Delhomme's not the guy. Like, who, who are you going to get to be our quarterback? Now, 2012 was a great year for quarterbacks. The crown jewel was Andrew Luck. Luck was a surefire generational quarterback in the mold of Peyton Manning. The prospect of drafting Luck had fan bases starting Suck for Luck campaigns to try and get him. Suck for Luck! Suck for Luck! Suck for Luck! The next guy I remember was Heisman winner RG3. They were the consensus top two. And after that, you had Ryan Tannehill, Russell Wilson, Kirk Cousins, and even Nick Foles. That's six startable NFL quarterbacks. And the Browns had the fourth pick that year. They had to either move up to get into the race for the consensus top two, or at bare minimum, get someone half decent, right? The Colts, they're not budging at number one. Luck was their guy, and understandably so. But at number two, the Rams, they were open for business. And there were two teams really bidding with Washington and the Browns, looking to go up to that number two pick to get RG3. The Rams basically told both of those teams, hey, make your best offer, and you know we'll, we'll, we'll go from there. And the Redskins ended up winning that battle because their offer was, you know, ended up being better. Three first rounders and a second rounder. So, okay, that leaves Cleveland with the number four pick. None of the remaining quarterback prospects were top five kind of guys. But luckily, the Browns had gotten another first rounder, the 22nd pick, by trading down in the previous draft so they could wait to take their signal caller. The top non-quarterback on their board, running back Trent Richardson, who was coming off Uh, a huge season at Alabama. He was universally believed one of the top players in that draft, some even calling him bust proof. Uh, And, you know, you watch him and you see, okay, this guy is Maurice Jones Drew. Uh, You know, he's short, but he's stout, compact frame, awesome balance that allowed him to really keep his feet through contact. He could drop his hips. He could redirect leaving defenders off balance. He caught the ball well. So everything pointed towards Richardson being that ideal running back prospect. And the Browns, obviously, that thought so too, because they traded up from four to three to get him. They traded, I think, a fourth, a fifth, and a seventh to go up one spot. I'd like to point out here that a fourth, fifth, and seventh round pick is actually fair value to move from four to three, according to the trade charts. So at least Cleveland didn't overpay for once. The NFL is finally back, and there's also finally no need to exhaust yourself searching all over the internet to find tickets. TickPick is your best choice to buy football tickets because they save you money by never charging any service fees. I mean, ever. Because TickPick, that's T-I-C-K-P-I-C-K, got rid of all those awful service fees that the other ticket sites charge, which let them guarantee the best prices on all of their NFL tickets. 
Don't believe it? If you can find better prices for the same seats on another ticket site, TickPick will give you 110% of the difference in the purchase price. That's right, 110% difference. TickPick is the exclusive ticketing partner for Brownstown and Blue Wire Network. I got to go find some Browns tickets against the Steelers on Monday night to watch the Browns kick their tail. Visit TickPick.com slash Brownstown today and use the promo code Brownstown to save $10 on your first order of NFL tickets. Anyway, Richardson was bust-proof, just like the Titanic was unsinkable. He ended up out of the league in just three seasons. After a pretty decent rookie campaign with the Browns, the team shockingly traded him just two weeks into 2013 to the Colts for a first-round pick. Then he had a very whatever career, averaging less than three and a half yards per carry. But wait, dang, I thought this dude was supposed to be bust-proof. What happened? It seemed like the game was way too fast for Richardson. I mean, the way that defenders moved, his vision was not able to catch up. His ability to process and understand, okay, where are these holes going to be? What is the defense trying to do? He was not able to catch up to that. And his physical ability was good, but not enough to compensate for the lack of the vision, the patience, the decision-making that you need as a running back at the line of scrimmage. Yeah. It's easy to look back and call Trent Richardson a major bust, but I'll defend Cleveland a little bit here. There were tons of draft analysts who thought he'd be a stud. Do you ever want to feel good about yourself? Just YouTube ESPN's draft coverage after Trent Richardson was selected. They're practically drooling over him. Then not go and get the running back who many feel is an Adrian Peterson, LaDainian Tomlinson potential type. Dude, he's like a Marshawn Lynch with speed and elusiveness. This kid is one guy who can do the workload of three. He won't come off the field. He's kind of like a Steven Jackson in that regard. Them's is some freezing cold takes. Now back to the good stuff. They get to, to where they have that second pick. It, it was acquired because the year before they had passed on taking Julio Jones, another Hall of Famer, and they take Brandon Wheat. That's Browns reporter for The Athletic, Zach Jackson. They thought he had a big enough arm for Cleveland. They thought his experiences, despite being 28, gave him the maturity to come in right away. I always said at the time, don't worry about the age. He's either good enough or not. Like, I remember on their own radio show, they're saying, like, he's not good enough. We would have never picked him even in the fourth round. Uh, I remember at the Senior Bowl, he played on the same team as Nick Foles, who, you know, is an outrageous fourth round success story. But to even look at those guys, and say that either would go in the first round, but especially that one would go three rounds before the other. It just told like the operation was, was just awful, top to bottom. But why? Why did the Browns pick an old quarterback from a simplistic offense who wasn't even valued highly around the league in a year with so much quarterback talent? According to Dane Brugler, one word, desperation. I think that most everyone, fans, other teams, they thought the Browns were going to wait until the second or third round to target a, a Nick Foles or a Kirk Cousins or a Russell Wilson. Instead, they reach for 28-year-old Whedon, who I, I think is one of the best examples of quarterback desperation and what it does to a franchise in the NFL draft in the first round. As a prospect, I thought, you know, I thought as a as a player who's very similar to say Kyle Orton, a rhythm passer coming from a simplistic offense who really struggled under pressure. That's where you just, you look at him and say, okay, this guy's going to struggle against NFL defenses. He would lock on to that intended target and he just wouldn't adjust. 
neither of the Browns' first-round picks in 2012 worked out. But Richardson, him failing came as a surprise. Whedon not working out, that was predictable. And that was the 2012 draft. The Browns made nine more picks after Richardson and Whedon, including a dude who was literally named Smelly. But nobody stunk like their first-round selections. This has to be the worst draft of all time, right, Chris Froze? Listen, here's the great thing about Brown's insufficient drafts. You got a lot to choose from. Like, what's your favorite worst draft? Man, that's a tough one. If we're going to do a whole show on that one, that could be really, really challenging. But, you know, Trent Richardson was solid his first year, right? I mean, he was good. He almost had 1,000 yards. He caught the ball well out of the backfield. He showed some flashes. Brandon Whedon was a reach, you know, but he was the fourth quarterback taken that year. And here we are a decade later, and Ryan Tannehill's the only man left standing, really. It's crazy how it works. There was one more twist in the 2012 draft bus story. In July, the NFL held its supplemental draft. Historically, the Browns have been fantastically lucky in the supplemental draft. Hometown hero quarterback Bernie Kosar used the 1985 supplemental draft to circumvent NFL rules and land on the Browns. Bernie Kosar walks to the beat of his own drummer. He, his father, and his dentist decided a long time ago that Bernie would play for the Cleveland Browns. He will. I mention this mostly as an excuse to play this. Bernie, Bernie, oh yeah, how you can throw. Yeah, 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 yeah. Bernie, Bernie. Oh, baby. Super Bowl. Ah, uh, yes. Bernie, Bernie. The beautiful local parody of Louie Louie, performed by people half singing and half yelling. Just in case you needed more proof this city loves their brownies, the song became a huge hit after the Bleacher Bums, not a real band, but just three normal dudes, recorded themselves at a mall kiosk. The song became the number one hit in Cleveland in 1986. No joke. Put this on at literally any cookout in the greater Cleveland area, and you'll have the boomers dancing. We gotta go out. Super Bowl. Go Browns! <laughs> There's a big difference between Bernie Kosar, the supplemental draft prospects, and prospects now. It, basically, a supplemental drafts made for players for one reason or another. They were not they were not part of the main draft, but something happened between that deadline to declare and uh, the supplemental draft in July. Either you know they kicked off the team, kicked out of school, something happened where their eligibility was disrupted. And this supplemental draft, though, the Browns used their second round pick to select Utah wideout Josh Gordon Griffin. Been on target Uh-oh. all day. Uh-oh. Short pass, long Uh-oh. run. Watch out, Gordon. Can they catch him? No way. Gordon was in this draft because he had never actually played for the Utes after transferring from Baylor and being suspended for violating team rules. The market for Gordon was hot. As hot as it can be in a supplemental draft. What's the market for Gordon? It looks pretty strong because I mean, you're hearing maybe as high as the second round, which is probably unlikely, but third round, fourth round, and teams like Cleveland, Miami, teams that need receivers are looking at somebody, he's 6'4", he's 220 pounds, he's probably going to run on Tuesday in the 4-4s. Four I mean, this guy can be a beast. He was gifted, but a second round pick is a lot to give up for a player with a lot of red flags. I remember thinking, okay, you know, this guy will be probably a third or fourth round pick because obviously teams have to give up that pick in the following draft. And then when I heard the, the Browns took him in the second round, I was, I was, I was kind of surprised that that was pretty early. 
but it turns out, I mean, that was Tom Heckert's best pick that he made uh, as as Brown's general manager. Having a bumpy background, you weren't sure what you're going to get, and I, you're still not sure what, what you're getting with Josh Gordon, but the, the talent is undeniable. Oh, it's caught by Gordon. He's over 200 yards. This has never happened back-to-back in the history of pro football, and he takes it 95. Can you believe it? In 2012, behind that garbage draft, the Brownies went 5-11. and Pat Shermer was fired at the end of the season. Whedon started 15 games and threw 14 touchdowns and 17 interceptions, and not to mention some of the ugliest-looking lame-duck throws in team history. The team would enter the 2013 offseason looking for their seventh head coach and their 14th season back in the league. But just when you thought it would be the same old story, a new owner would emerge and take the Browns to places we never knew were even possible as a franchise. We're going to look at everything except the helmet tongue. <laughs> but listen, it's all about putting a really good team on the field. Breaking news in the FBI probe of Cleveland Browns owner Jimmy Haslam's company, Pilot Flying J. The first guilty pleas are now in. Here's Jimmy. That's next time on Brownstown. Brownstown is hosted and reported by me, Andre Knott. Produced and written by Harry Swartout and Peter Moses. Edited by Isabel Jocelyn. Music by Brian Decker. Production coordination by Devin Shepard. And production assistance by Miriam Khan, Michael Ehrlich, Shwetha Surendran, and Zach Jackson. Brownstown is a Blue Wire podcast and executive produced by Peter Moses and John Yells. See you next time.